2 Chronicles chapter 9 When the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon, she came to test Solomon with hard questions at Jerusalem, with a very great caravan including camels that bore spices, gold in abundance and precious stones. When she had come to Solomon, she talked with him about all that was in her heart. Solomon answered all her questions. There wasn't anything hidden from Solomon which he didn't tell her. When the Queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his servants, the attendance of his ministers, their clothing, his cupbearers also and their clothing, and his ascent by which he went up to Yahweh's house, there was no more spirit in her. She said to the king, It was a true report that I heard in my own land of your acts and of your wisdom. However, I didn't believe their words until I came, and my eyes had seen it. And behold, half of the greatness of your wisdom wasn't told me. You exceed the fame that I heard. Happy are your men, and happy are these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be Yahweh your God, who delighted in you, to set you on his throne, to be king for Yahweh your God, because your God loved Israel, to establish them forever. Therefore he made you king over them to do justice and righteousness. She gave the king 120 talents of gold, spices in great abundance, and precious stones. There was never before such spice as the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. The servants of Huram and the servants of Solomon who brought gold from Ophir also brought algum trees and precious stones. The king used algum tree wood to make terraces for Yahweh's house and for the king's house and harps and stringed instruments for the singers. There were none like these seen before in the land of Judah. King Solomon gave to the Queen of Sheba all her desire, whatever she asked in addition to that which she had brought to the king. So she turned and went to her own land, she and her servants. Now, the weight of the gold that came to Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold, in addition to that which the traders and merchants brought. All the kings of Arabia and the governors of the country brought gold and silver to Solomon. King Solomon made 200 bucklers of beaten gold. 600 shekels of beaten gold went to one buckler. He made 300 shields of beaten gold. 300 shekels of gold went to one shield. The king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with pure gold. There were six steps to the throne with a footstool of gold which were fastened to the throne and armrests on either side by the place of the seat, and two lions standing beside the armrests. Twelve lions stood there on the one side and on the other of the six steps. There was nothing like it made in any other kingdom. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. Silver was not considered valuable in the days of Solomon, for the king had ships that went to Tarshish with Huram's servants. Once every three years, the ships of Tarshish came bringing gold, silvery, ivory, apes, and peacocks. So King Solomon exceeded all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. All the kings of the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. They each brought tribute, vessels of silver, vessels of gold, clothing, armor, spices, horses, and mules every year. Solomon had 4,000 stalls for horses and chariots, and 12,000 horsemen that he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king at Jerusalem. 
He ruled over all the kings from the river, even to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones, and he made cedars to be abundant as the sycamore trees that are in the lowland. They brought horses for Solomon out of Egypt and out of all lands. Now, the rest of the Acts of Solomon, first and last, aren't they written in the history of Nathan the prophet, and in the prophecy of Ahijah the Shilonite, and in the visions of Ido the seer, concerning Jeroboam the son of Nebat. Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel forty years. Solomon slept with his father, and he was buried in his father David's city, and Rehoboam his son reigned in his place. So we've now come to the end of Solomon, and tomorrow we'll start with King Rehoboam and all the other kings of Judah. We're going to go right through to chapter 36. We're going to spend much less time on them all than what we've spent on David and on Solomon. Um, much of what was in this chapter with the Queen of Sheba was in the, the king's account. But I just wanted to say one thing about Solomon before we moved on. And in the king's account of Solomon, it was pretty obvious that he started well, he loved the Lord with a big heart, and he ended terrible. And you can read um, the book of Ecclesiastes, which we're going to get to um, early next year, or in, you know, in the first part of next year. And in that book, it's going to talk about his regret at the end of his life, at all the things he tried that were meaningless. We don't get any of that here. In the Chronicles account of Solomon, we don't see any of his regret. We don't see any of his moral weakness, any of his failure. It doesn't mention any of his wives. It doesn't mention that he built temples for foreign gods. It's only all good. <laughs> and when we, it was the same with David. When we talked about David, it was only all good. And there's, there's two reasons. One is that it, it wasn't really about Solomon so much as it was about the process of having the temple set up. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but when we were way back in Exodus and Leviticus and we were going through the process of setting up the tabernacle, it talked about you know, the, the materials of the tabernacle and then the, the way that it was set up and then the order of service in the tabernacle and the people who were going to serve. We've been going through all of that with Chronicles, with David, the priests and the Levites and the musicians and the worshippers and the materials for the, tab the tent, temple. And, now with Solomon, we've been going through the dedication of the temple and the building process. And um, so it's been, even though it's, it's talking about Solomon, it's all been about this process of setting up the temple. So it's, it's actually focusing on a different point. And in some kind of way, it's kind of like copying the process that we went through in Leviticus and in Exodus. But there's another reason, is that the person who put the Chronicles together, they had a lot of source material to draw from and they've been selective. So they've picked bits and pieces and put it together in to make a presentation to you that has a meaning. And um, it's theological. So the Book of Kings, it had theological meaning in it too, but it was more focused on history. Whereas now we're more focused on meaning. And so we've got, the point is that what we're seeing here is that when Israel follows the Lord, when they put him in the center of things, you know, they, the temple has been built and they put God in the center, things go well. So <laughs> that's the lesson that we're learning here out of Chronicles. We're learning that putting God in his rightful place, loving him, accepting him and worshiping him, the result of that is that things will go well. Now that is true in general. That is in general what happens and that's the plan of God 
for the history of the world. The, the plan of the Lord is to restore himself to his rightful place, and the result is that the earth is blessed. But in the process, there are ups and downs, and it's not always true for every individual. For, in this, for example, Abraham was someone who loved the Lord and worshipped him, put God in the right place, and God blessed him. But Jeremiah was someone who put God in the right place and had a terrible struggle in his life. And he even complained about it in Jeremiah 21 or 22. It's called Jeremiah's Complaint. We'll get to it. And uh, he, he basically says, God, what's up? So there are exceptions because the world is a sinful place. It's not perfect. And sometimes Christians are called to face persecution and suffering. But the result is by giving our lives, just like Christ did, it results in good for others. So we're not focused on ourselves. We're focused on others. But in general, when you put the Lord first, um, it results in things becoming better. So that's what generally happens. And that's the lesson we're seeing here through the life of Solomon. They're ignoring his faults, but they're making the point that putting God in his rightful center place will result in the best outcomes. And that is true. So we need to, to do that. We need to put the Lord in the central place of our lives. And, but then we also need to be willing to serve the Lord. We also need to be willing to follow his example, to take up our cross, and be, we need to be willing to go through whatever difficulties might be needed as well, because that is actually what it means to put the Lord in central place. The Lord will not fail to reward and bless anyone who does so. And so if you miss out in this life, then you will certainly not miss out in eternity, which is a much longer and more significant time and place. So we're so grateful to the Lord for that. Father, I want to thank you for, Lord, the way that you work, the way that you bring things about. I want to thank you, Lord, that the same way that this temple was established in Israel as a sign and a symbol to us of, Lord, what you're seeking to establish now in the New Jerusalem. Lord, in the spiritual Israel, in the church, let your kingdom be established, Lord. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. Let power and grace be given to your people. In Jesus' name, amen.